Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome and thank you for joining us on another episode of Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370. This is a show about your health, your life, and much more with our rotating cast of experts. You can catch up on all of our past shows on talk1370.com slash experts. And of course, if you have a question for any of our experts at any time, feel free to email us, asktheexperts at talk1370.com. Joining us on the program today is Robert Lee with the Lee, Gober, and Reyna Law Firm. Today, we're speaking about things jurors never get to hear. Robert, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, before we get started, this is your first time in the studio. We've had Gober, we've had Reyna, and now we are graced with your presence, Mr. Robert Lee. So would you introduce yourself to our listeners and let them know a, a little bit about yourself? Certainly. Um, so I'm from Houston originally. After high school, I joined the Army. I was a mechanic there for a while. And then I went into law several years after the Army because, well, I just, I think as a young kid, I always noticed and, and was particularly aware of when I thought there was an injustice. And um, and I've always kind of had a strong desire to kind of fight for kind of the underdog. So, um, so in, in the practice of law, I have limited, well, early in my career, because I graduated law school in 99, have been practicing for 19 years. Um, I did a lot of different types of cases from criminal to family law um, and, and personal injury, but my heart really um, went to the personal injury cases. And, um, um, and I've always only represented, you know, the little guy um, going up against the big company and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, and uh, about 10 years ago, I moved to Austin because uh, my wife and I fell in love with it. This is where we met. Uh, I've been married for nearly 30 years. I have uh, two, two sons and, uh, and a granddaughter that's two and a half years old. And so what inspired you to open up your practices here? So we, I, I had been living, my wife and I had been living in Eagle Pass where my wife is from working for my brother-in-law who's a, a personal injury attorney there. And um, we just, you know, Eagle Pass is a real small town. We wanted to come back to Austin. When I first moved here, I actually went to work for another firm because I, I wasn't ready yet to open my own practice. That was 10 years ago. Um, and unfortunately, I made the mistake of going to work for a lawyer that was um, one of those lawyers that you hear about that gives the rest of us a bad name. Mm -hmm. He's actually in prison now um, okay. for some terrible stuff. So it, about a year or two after working for him, a little over a year and a half, two years after I'd been working for him, I came to realize he was not a good guy. He didn't. He wasn't looking out for the best interest of his client. He was looking out for the best interest of himself. 
And once I figured that out, I just, I couldn't work for him anymore. And, and it was kind of a spur of the moment decision when I left his firm with, I had nothing pre-planned or anything. And I went out on my own and next thing I know, I was uh, working out of my house and then renting an office and then slowly. I started off as just me and then, you know, over the last 10 years it's grown, you know, I've got the two other attorneys, Trey Gober and Maud Reina, and a staff of, I think, about eight or 10 people. And yeah, so it's just grown over the years. Yeah. We've spoken about several different topics already with uh, Lee and Reina. I mean, with Gober and Reina already. So today we have a topic on things jurors never get to hear. So the first question I have for you would be, who ultimately decides what evidence the jury gets to hear? Sure. It, that's a real simple answer. It is the the trial judge for the case. The um, and then ultimately, now the the judge will make the decision in trial as to whether or not the jury gets to see a particular document or a photo or hear testimony from a particular witness. Um, now, he's not necessarily the final the final word on it. If he the judge makes a decision that's wrong. Let's say he doesn't let in a photograph that should have came in. Um, well, there is a process by which you can appeal and go to an appellate court, and if they decide that was a bad decision and an error, they can reverse it and send it back down, and you can have to go back and retry the whole case over again, which nobody, everybody wants to avoid. Nobody mm-hmm. wants that to happen. But Would this work against uh, or for your clients? Well, it depends on the situation. It depends on, you know, if the judge is ruling. Um, well, in most situations on the plaintiff side, I represent the plaintiff. The plaintiff is the person that's been injured um, due to somebody else's fault. Um, usually it's always in their best interest to get a case resolved quicker and sooner. And if you go to trial and a judge makes a bad decision and it results in appeal, the appeals take years, at least several more years, mm-hmm. and so that drags it out. So it's usually not in the plaintiff's favor for cases to get drug out and, and delayed. So what guides a judge in deciding what evidence a jury hears? The primary guiding factor is what's referred to the rules of evidence. Here in Texas, it's the Texas rules of evidence. Um, if you, Assuming you're in a state court, um, you know, if you've got, you can have, you can have personal injury cases here filed in either state court or in federal court, depending on the factors. Um, so in federal court, federal there is a federal rules of evidence, and in state court, there's Texas rules of evidence, and they're both very similar, but they are the guiding principles. Um, beyond that, there, the, every time a judge makes a decision based on what he thinks the rule says, if a if, if sometimes when those get decisions get appealed, then the appellate courts will make a ruling about whether or not the judge made a correct decision. And so those appellate decisions are what we call case law. So there is, there's the rules of procedure. The rules come from statutes. And then there is case law, which comes from appellate judges uh, making decisions. So there's those two primary factors. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370. Today, I'm sitting down with Robert Lee, just one of the attorneys with the Lee, Gober, and Reina Law Firm. If you have any questions so far and you'd like to get a hold of their offices, you can reach them at 512-800-8000. Again, that's 512-800-8000, or you can visit their website, lgrlawfirm.com. 
Robert, the next question I have for you is, is there a standard list of things that jurors never get to hear? So there, in, in Travis County, there is a standard, they call it a standing order of subjects that are off limits that jurors are, you're not supposed to bring up in trial. Now, one of the most frustrating things about the law is for every single rule there is in the law, there's almost always some exception. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, in, in Travis County, they have it on file. It's it's available on the internet. If somebody ever wanted to go and look it up, they could just Google Travis County Standing Order in Lemony, L-I-M-I-N-E. And that gives you a list uh, of, what is it, 27 things that are generally prohibited from bringing up and talking about and, and, and informing a jury of. And so why wouldn't the jurors be able to hear that any judgment would be covered by insurance? Well, <laughs> the, 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 the theory behind that is basically appellate appellate judges came up with this rule and they they basically decided that they don't they don't trust jurors knowing everything they're afraid that jurors instead of deciding a case instead of deciding how much money somebody deserves based for their injuries solely based on on what what they're supposed to be decided on they're afraid that if if the juries know that a defendant has insurance that they'd be more likely to just want to give them money anyway. So, you know, basically they, they don't trust jurors to make fair and impartial decisions if they have all the evidence, um, you know, if they, if they knew that the defendant was covered with insurance. And we got time for just one more question before we head to our first break. Robert, are you allowed to ask potential jurors whether they are somehow connected to the insurance industry? Generally, no. You, you can't just... Bring that question up and ask mm-hmm. it. Now, if while you're talking to jurors in, and they call it voir dire or jury selection, if a juror brings that up and mentions it on their own, you can follow up and question about it. But you can't just straight off the bat say, anybody in this jury panel, you know, connected to the insurance industry. Robert Lee is just one of the attorneys with the Lee Gober and Reyna Law Firm. To get a hold of them, you can reach them at 512-800-8000. And you can also type that number into the web, just right in the search browser, 512-800-8000.com. We're going to have a lot more with Robert coming up right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Ask the Experts. I'm your host, Matt Alvarez. Today, we're sitting down with Robert Lee with the Lee Gober and Reyna Law Firm. Um, if anything has caught your attention so far and you'd like to get in contact with the Lee Gober and Reyna Law Firm, you can give them a call at 512-800-8000. That's 512-800-8000. Or you can type that number right into your search browser, 512-800-8000.com. And you can check them out for a free consultation today. 
Robert, when we left off, I asked you if you were allowed to add potential jurors, if they were somehow connected with the insurance company. But my next question for you is, I know that sometimes it is an insurance company paying for the defendant's lawyers. Do the jurors get to at least hear that? No. Uh, The jurors, insurance is one of those universal things that the across the board you're not supposed to bring up or talk about in a lawsuit about you're not supposed to mention that a defendant if you're suing a defendant for a car accident you're not allowed to tell the jury that that defendant has insurance or not you're not allowed to tell the jury that the their insurance is paying for their lawyer not allowed to tell the jury that the insurance will pay any award that they um that they may decide to give um and the this the same is true on the other side, which is if if a plaintiff has health insurance that is paid for some of their medical treatment related to the car accident, um, the jury's not supposed to know that as well. And so, as I understand it, if a plaintiff has made a prior claim for an injury involved in the case going to trial, the jury gets to hear about that. Correct. As with most things in the law, it it depends. Every case depends on the specific facts and circumstances. But generally speaking, if you're in a car accident and your left shoulder is really sore afterwards and if a doctor tells you, oh, you have a torn rotator cuff, you need surgery, well, if six months or a year or a few years prior to this accident, you had been seeing a doctor for pain to that same shoulder or something that is medically related, then the jury's going to get to hear that. Okay, but does the jury ever get to hear that if the defendant has been sued or settled with someone in the past for causing that same kind of injuries or the same kind of accident that they did in the case before the jury? Not unless that defendant has had a lot of prior accidents and they are similar to the one that you're there for. So if the def- if if a defendant is once ran a red light and one time they, you know, um, rear-ended somebody, but your accident is in a parking lot where they back into you and it's so it's completely unrelated, then they won't get to hear that. So you, mm-hmm. you could have a defendant driver that's pretty reckless that has three or four or five tickets throughout the, you know, last couple of years and three or four accidents and who's had to pay several settlements. Um, but unless unless they're shown to be very similar to this accident and, and be particularly relevant to um, the jury generally doesn't get to hear about that. And, and the idea is, is they want a jury to decide whether or not a defendant is responsible for the, the accident that you're there for in the trial, and, and they don't want them to be biased and, and hold it against them that they've had a bunch of other accidents. Okay. And so what if the plaintiff has health insurance does the jury get to hear about the health insurance paid part of the plaintiff's medical bills? Generally, no. Although there have been a lot of changes in the law in the last few years with regard to um, a plaintiff's ability to recover medical bills and whether or not a medical bill has been paid and what's been paid. So I've had trials before where I actually introduced that and brought that in. But generally, if, if if the plaintiff doesn't want the no to jury to bring that in, generally speaking, the defendant doesn't get to stand up there and say, hey, 
ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the plaintiff has health insurance that paid for this medical treatment. That's that's a general rule that they don't get to do that. Does uh, health insurance have the right to demand repayment from the plaintiff if he or she wins the case? That is technically that is a contractual issue that depends on the insurance contract between the plaintiff and the and the health insurance company. But generally speaking, ninety percent of the health insurance policies that I see have a provision in there that says if you're in an accident that's caused by a third party that has insurance and we pay for medical care, you know, for you, then and then you make a recovery from that person, then they have the right to get paid back what they paid. So yes. And that's one of the things that the jury doesn't get to know that you know, they let's say you've got ten thousand dollars in medical bills that um, that uh, that was paid by health insurance. Well, the jury may think if they award you that ten thousand, that that's going in your pocket or you're keeping it. And what they don't realize is, no, it goes straight to the health insurance company. The the plaintiff doesn't benefit and get anything from it. And uh, you may have touched on this briefly already, but does the does the jury get to know that she or he has to repay their health insurance company out of whatever judgment he uh, they get at trial? No, they do not. <sighs> And to make matters worse is because they don't know that, sometimes the plaintiff can get caught between you know, the, the, the worst of both worlds. They can, like for example, if let's suppose a plaintiff has $50,000 in past medical bills. Well, the jury, if the jury decides that 50000 is either not related or it's too high or it's too expensive, if the jury decides to only award, let's say, twenty-five of that, well, if they then award another twenty-five thousand dollars for pain and suffering, what the jury doesn't realize is, is the medical bills have to get paid first. So, if you have fifty thousand dollars in outstanding medical bills, and if a jury says, "Well, we're only going to give you twenty-five for your medical and another twenty-five for your pain and suffering," well, all fifty of that ends up going to pay for the for the medical, and and the injured person gets zero, ends up with zero for their pain and suffering. And if you're just joining us here listening to Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370, today we're sitting down with Robert Lee, just one of the attorneys with the Lee Gober and Raina Law Firm. To get a hold of them, you can visit their website, um, lgrlawfirm.com, or you can type in their phone number to the browser, 512-800-8000.com, or you can just give them a call for a free consultation. Um, Robert, I know you guys mostly work on contingency, but... Does the jury understand the plaintiff has to pay your expenses and fees out of whatever judgment they award? The only way they would know that is if they've been in an accident and had to hire a plaintiff's lawyer before. The Most jurors who show up for jury duty who've never been through this before, they're completely unaware. And that's that's a really frustrating thing a lot of times because – a juror may come back and let's say they decide that a plaintiff who has $10,000 in medical bills deserves another 10000 for his pain and suffering. So a jury may write down in the jury's verdict form, you know, we award the plaintiff 10000 for medical and 10000 for pain and suffering. And they walk out of there thinking that plaintiff's going to get 20000 bucks, and that the ten will go in their pocket. What they, you know, And what they don't know and what they don't realize is, is all plaintiffs' personal injury attorneys work on the contingency, meaning the only way we get paid is a percentage of what we recover for the person we represent. Right. So when the jury awards $40,000, a percentage of that is to cover my fee, and it reduces what the plaintiff gets. So 
you know, a lot of times I think jurors, if jurors knew that, I think they would give more, you know, they would, they would like to, you know, if they knew a plaintiff's attorney was charging a third of the recovery, mm-hmm. you know, instead of awarding $30,000, if they knew that a 10 of that was going to go to the plaintiff's lawyer for all their work and time for their fee, they might give a, more like 40 mm-hmm. so that, because, you know, because most of the time, Jurors decide what they think the plaintiff should end up with receiving in their pocket in the end. And they try, you know, they try to do the right thing. And that's that's what's frustrating is, is when we we don't allow jurors to know all the facts and the results of what their decisions make, then we don't really achieve true justice. Mm-hmm. We achieve what they think, you know, is justice, but it's minus, you know, fees and expenses and all these other stuff that they don't know is coming out of it. And the plaintiff, in the end, always inevitably ends up with far less than what a jury thinks they'll get. It sounds like winning the lottery and then having to pay all those taxes. Yes, except everybody knows that tax, you know, that lottery is taxable. And you're hurt. Yeah. Yeah. The difference is is that, you know, is jurors, even if they ask, you know, you can be in a trial and they can ask, you know, hey, if we award $10,000, is the plaintiff going to get all that? And you're not even allowed to tell them. You know, mm-hmm. the judge will say, sorry, you don't get to know that. So, you know, so it, it's, it's, it's tough for, for a jury to do the right thing when they're not provided all the information. And, you know, I don't want to get off and make this a political discussion, but, but one thing that most people don't realize is that, you know, Texas, the, the, the members of the Texas Supreme Court, all all of them, all share the exact same political ideologically. They all have been, they all run for election, and when they run for election, they have to, you know, they have to gather money, they have to get donations, and all nine judges on the Texas Supreme Court all are former insurance defense lawyers, former on the other side they every time they run all the insurance companies donate hundreds of thousands of dollars to them so there's an organization called texas watch it's a nonprofit organization if you go on their website and you look one of the most sad things that people don't know is that over the last 10 years or so on average every time a plaintiff and defendant go to trial and a, and a plaintiff gets a verdict in their favor and a jury awards money if a defense defendant appeals that up to the Texas Supreme Court, the Texas Supreme Court has decided at least 90% or more of cases in favor of the defendants, the insurance companies. Now, you know, is that because they got all that money from them? Is that because they're out of ideology or is that just because they think they're doing the right thing? You know, well, that's that's for y'all to decide. Pretty sure they would tell you they can't answer that question. (laughs) Exactly. Well, uh, Robert, it's time for another break. Um, We're about to hit uh, just the bottom of the hour, but don't go anywhere. We have more Ask the Experts coming up right here on Talk 1370. to Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370. I'm your host, Matt Alvarez. Today, we're speaking with Robert Lee from the Lee, Gober, and Reyna Law Firm. Our topic today is things jurors never get to hear. It's a pretty interesting conversation if you haven't been keeping up, uh, keeping up with us so far. But Robert, um, 
let's start uh let's start off with this question let's talk about the independent medical exams for a minute the way i understand it the defendant can demand for the plaintiff to visit a doctor of the defendant's choosing and submit to a medical exam is that correct yes there's actually a specific rule of procedure that allows a defendant to file a motion you know if if, if the plaintiff doesn't agree to it voluntarily, then the, they can go to court and get an order to force the plaintiff to go get examined by a doctor of the defendant's choice. And what's funny is I, I've my biggest issue with that whole process is the, is the way that they try to call it an independent exam. To me, an independent exam is a doctor who has zero connection to one side or the other and is completely neutral. 99% of the time when the defense says, I want you to get examined by an independent medical doctor, it's a doctor that they've used dozens, if not hundreds of times, that they're sending them checks for thousands of dollars, and they and the doctor knows the insurance company is the one hiring them, and they know that the insurance company wants them to you know, give a report that's favorable to them. So, um, so it's, while they call it independent, it's, it's, <laughs> most of the time it's really not. What if the plaintiff wants to submit to an independent medical exam and the defendant refuses? Can the jury hear this? No, no. Matter of fact, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the people I represent, you know, their their injuries are blatantly obvious, and, and any medical doctor that uh, examines them will, you know, will have, you know, it can only reach one conclusion that they suffered a severe injury from the accident. And so, so a lot of times it's to our benefit to volunteer and offer, you know, hey, if you don't trust the doctors that plaintiff has already seen, you know, we're willing to go to one of your doctors. Um, and, and I've offered that before. And sometimes the defendants will take you up on it and sometimes, sometimes they don't. But, um, but no, if you, if you make that offer and the jury, whether the, whether the defendant accepts or not, you don't get to tell the jury, hey, I offered to go see a doctor of the defendant's choice. How about this? What if the plaintiff submits to an independent medical exam and the doctor agrees the plaintiff was seriously injured by the defendant? Does the jury get to hear this if the dependent doesn't want them to? That is a maybe. That, there's not a hard and fast answer on that. I, I've I've had it go both ways. I've had a lot of times it depends on how favorable the this doctor's r- report is and what he has to say to the plaintiff. I I recently had a case where. My client was examined by the defense expert, and the defense expert came back and wrote a report that was basically all favorable to me. It said, yes, you know, my client was injured, and yes, my client needed this medical care, and all the medical care was reasonable, and this was the proper treatment. So it was all favorable to me. So once the defendant realized it was all favorable to me and really didn't help him any, he he did what they call de-designating the doctor, where he said, oh, we're no longer going to use this doctor, you know, for whatever reason. And 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 so if you go to trial like that, of course, as the plaintiff, I would like the jury to know that, hey, a doctor, even that the defendant selected, agreed with this. And sometimes, depending on the judge, uh, they will get to hear that, and sometimes they won't. What about settlement negotiations? Um, can, an, can the jury hear how much the defendant offered and how much the plaintiff last demanded to settle the case? So that's one of those universal rules that, there's almost no exception for, and the, the answer is no. So if if you walk into, you could have been in mediation a week before trial, and the defendant could be offering you a hundred thousand dollars, and then you walk in, and the and the defendant can stand up in front of the jury and say, 
I think you should only award 10,000. That's the fair amount, even though they were offering you 100 last week. And no, you never get to tell the jury. They never get to know that there was any offer made or if there was an offer, how much it was. And same thing on the on the plaintiff side. For example, I might offer to settle a case for $100,000 before I walk into trial. But if we've had to go all the way to trial and fight that hard, we're probably going to ask for more. And so, you know, we don't... We don't want the defendant saying, "Oh, well, last week you offered to settle for a hundred, and now you're asking this jury for two hundred. So, you know, so it works both ways. The the jury is not allowed to know anything about settlement negotiations. And is it true that you can't tell the jury that failure to award damages will cause a hardship on the plaintiff? Yes, that's that's completely accurate. You're, and and that's a rule that works both ways as well, in the sense that. Um, you know, while you're not allowed to tell a a jury the effect of if they award, you know, how much they award and whether or not the plaintiff is going to have to pay money out of their pocket for their medical bills or if they're going to, you know, have not been able to pay their rent, you know, because they weren't able to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it does work the same way on a defendant. If a defendant has insurance, then jury is not allowed to know that any award won't make any difference to them. But, but also, if the defendant doesn't have insurance, they're not allowed to know that the defendant might have to pay out of their pocket and that they don't have the money and can't afford it and they might lose money if they if they don't have it. Right. Um, the interesting thing is, though, is that nine, I know at least for me in my practice and for most of the plaintiff's lawyers that I know that do what I do, most lawyers don't take a case if the defendant doesn't have insurance. Um, you know, if, if, you're, if, if you're driving down the road and you're, and you're crash into somebody and cause them injuries and you have no insurance, most of the time it's because you couldn't afford it. You know, you're you're working paycheck to paycheck and you just, you know, you, you're paying for your rent and your food and you just don't have enough to pay for your auto insurance. And if that's the case, if you can't afford auto insurance, well, what good's it do for me to go sue you, get a judgment against you of $20,000, dollars $30,000 if I'm never going to collect it? You know, the, it's, mm-hmm. it's the... Um, I don't know if you heard the saying, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. Um, And for me as a plaintiff's lawyer, I've, um, well, I've I've actually, up until a couple of years ago, I was able to say I've never in my life taken a case against somebody that didn't have any type of insurance. But I made my first exception a few years ago for a case where, um, really tragic case where a, um, a couple who couldn't afford good quality licensed daycare had found a lady on the internet who was just taking care of kids in her home and she didn't have any insurance or coverage or anything and this lady was not a good lady she shook the baby really hard until the baby suffered a really severe brain injury so the the child is injured the rest of his life never going to walk and talk normal and the woman that did it has no insurance um so she'll never pay a dime um and so the the even though it's costing me hundreds of you know thousands of dollars to file a lawsuit and go forward with it, and even though we'll know we'll never collect a dime, this is the one and only exception case that I've ever taken where we just are doing it out of principle. You know, just trying to hopefully eventually get a piece of paper that says you're at fault, you owe this child, you know, right. millions of dollars, or to just keep her from yeah. watching over children yeah. in general. But, but 99% of the time, you know, if, if you're a jury, you show up on jury duty and there's a lawsuit over personal injuries where somebody's suing another driver or a company or or, or, or whoever, um, you can be, you can almost rest assured that, that, that if they're in there with a the lawyer, defense lawyers are expensive. So if they've got a defense lawyer, it's because they've, 
it's 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 usually it's they're not you know it's not like you're gonna if you can't afford insurance on your vehicle then you're not going to then be able to afford twenty thirty fifty thousand dollars to hire a defense lawyer to to defend you so if you walk into court and there's a defendant being sued and they've got a lawyer you can bet your bottom dollar they've probably got insurance and you don't need to worry about um you know awarding a bunch of money and that person having to pay it out of their pocket because 95 percent or greater they've got insurance so we got a few minutes before we get to our our, our final break uh, Robert, I understand that at the end of a jury trial, the judge submits questions to the jury to determine liability of the parties. Is that correct? In most cases. Sometimes a defendant will actually admit they're at fault, and the only issue is how much. But but the majority of personal injury cases that go to trial, defendants usually dispute or don't admit they're at fault, and the, and the first question the jury gets to ask is, is about fault. Is there anything in your experience that you wish you could tell the jury about those questions, but you know you're not allowed to do so by the court. Absolutely, yes. As, um, as you and I were talking at the break a minute ago, I was explaining um, about six months ago. I had a trial for a woman who was rear-ended. Um, clearly, she was not at fault. She she was driving down the road and slowing down because there was another car on fire on the side of the road. And as she was slowing down, you know, due to this emergency of a fire car being on fire, mm-hmm. the person behind her wasn't paying attention and slammed into her. Well, the defendant fought through whole case and all the way through trial to try to blame and say, my lady that I represented was at fault for slowing down, that you shouldn't slow down when there's a car on fire. Um, and the jury in the end, so when the when they were asked the question about who was at fault and they was it the plaintiff or defendant, they said yes to both. And then if they say both of them are at fault, then the next question they get asked is, what percentage of fault is each person responsible for? And what the jury didn't know in that case, and and they don't know in any cases, is if if you say a plaintiff is, say, 25% at fault for an accident, then if you award $100, every dollar that you award gets reduced by the percentage of fault that you put on the plaintiff. And in, in that particular case, the jury, um, they awarded all, all the past medical bills, which was about $100,000, and they awarded another couple hundred thousand dollars for all the pain and the suffering and the lost wages and everything that my client had suffered. So it was a total of about a $300,000 award. What they didn't realize is, is that they, they decided to put, when they answered the liability question, 30% fault on my lady because they had no idea that that was going to reduce her award, and it ended up reducing the three hundred thousand that they awarded her got reduced to you know by almost a hundred thousand. And so after the trial, when I was talking to the jurors and telling them that they they were mad at me because I didn't tell them, and yet you know and I was telling them, hey, I wanted to tell you, I wish you would have known that because they they told me mm-hmm. had we known that we wouldn't have put any fault on her, or, you know, because they you know, they they said we thought it made no difference, or they said we either wouldn't have put any fault on her, or we would have awarded more money. So that it would have been reduced because they really wanted her to get. They they felt very strongly that she deserved, you know, this three hundred thousand dollar award, um, and they were very upset to find out that it was being reduced uh, drastically uh, because there was some blame put on her. <clears throat> if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ask the Experts right here on Talk thirteen seventy, and today we're sitting down with Robert Lee with the Lee Gober and Reina Law Firm. Hey, to get a hold of them, you can visit their website. Uh, lgrlawfirm.com or just type in their phone number 512-800-8000 
www.thepowerofpowerinc.com. You can also call that number for your free consultation today. We're going to go right into our final break and we'll be back with more Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370. Talk 1370. And welcome back to Ask the Experts right here on Talk 1370. The show about your health, your life, and much more with our rotating cast of experts. I'm your host, Matt Alvarez, and today we're sitting down with Robert Lee, one of the attorneys with the Lee, Gober, and Reina Law Firm. If you've listened to this show for the past uh, 45 minutes and anything has caught your attention and you want to get a hold of them, you can do so by calling their phone number, 512-800-8000. Again, that's 512-800-8000, or you can take that phone number and type it right into the web, 512-800-8000.com, and it'll take you straight to their website. Uh, Robert, we got time for just a few more questions before we uh, finish up today's show. So I'm going to ask you, does the jury ever get to hear about the fights the parties had during the case, but before the trial begins? Not at all, no. And that can be quite frustrating too because, for example, I've had cases before where we highly suspect, say, for example, that a defendant, the reason why they caused a collision because they were on their cell phone. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we always ask about, we send over a request saying, you know, give us your cell phone records. And and sometimes defendants will produce that, but some defendants you know, will fight and they'll object and they'll say no. And then, you know, you may go to court and try to get a order to compel that. And, and they, they may fight tooth and nail and you may never actually get their records to see prove that they were or weren't on on a cell phone. And then um, and then they'll walk into court, you know, and, and just, um, you know, deny it and, and act as if um, those records never existed or, or that we made no effort to try and get them. Um, and you're, so if the other side refuses to produce evidence or, or hides things from us, uh, you know, they can, they can play really dirty throughout an entire trial. And, and sometimes, I mean, sometimes I, by the time I get to trial, a defense lawyer has just really got under my skin and made me mad so mm-hmm. that so that I just think this guy is a lying, cheating guy. And then we walk into the courtroom and I'm I'm already all mad and ticked off at the guy and and the jury he he'll walk in there and start acting like the nicest guy in the world. And the jury has no idea that this guy's been a jerk and dragged the case out for years and delayed everything and fought against all this stuff and refused to produce evidence and stuff. Um the jury doesn't get to know about about almost anything that happened prior to leading up to the uh, the trial, as far as the lawsuit goes, and that's not, that's not a, a document that a judge can force uh, force them to provide. Well, you can you can a lot of times you can get a defendant uh, uh, on both sides. Uh, you can force somebody to produce some cell phone records. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and but the thing about it is, I don't know if you have noticed, you know, even when you get a cell phone record, most of the time it only shows. Whether or not you had a, were on the cell phone making a call or receiving a call, or if a text was sent or received, your typical cell phone record doesn't show. You know, you could be on Facebook or Instagram right. or looking at your map, and it and the cell phone records won't reflect that. And and um, so they they don't. It's nice, you know, if they were on their phone talking and you get the record and it shows they're on it. You know, most of the time, you know, we're able to get that, but um, but sometimes a lot of times, I just. I've got a case right now where um, a defendant who worked for a local company 
who actually didn't have a driver's license at the time. It's kind of crazy. Um, he had just been hired a couple of months before this accident. He was hired literally to be a driver for this company um, delivering auto parts. And he never had a license from the day he was hired. He had lost it um, because of something, bad driving record. Um, and when the collision happened, um, we suspected he was on a cell phone. And so we filed a lawsuit against him and the company he worked for. Well, when we filed the lawsuit, we started asking for his cell phone records because we thought he was on his cell phone when it happened. Um, their response was, well, this defendant um, is not cooperating with us. We've called him and asked him <clears throat> to give us his cell phone number and his records, and he won't do it. So we can't we can't make him we can't make him do something that he's not doing. And um, and so if a defendant disappears or doesn't show up, then you know you can't. It's to the it's to the defense attorneys and their insurance company's advantage sometimes to make somebody disappear, you know, or to or to not make any real effort to try and find it, you know. So when when there's evidence that they know is going to be unfavorable to them, you know, you know, how hard do you think they're going to try to work to get that evidence, you know? Well, Robert, I, I mean, if our if our listeners haven't been able to tell by now, you're a very passionate person about your work and and sticking up for the little guy. So uh, do you ever get to tell the jury your opinion about the case, or are you just limited to arguing the evidence offered at the trial? Technically, you're, you're really not supposed to give the jury your opinion. It's really, in theory, it doesn't really matter what the lawyer's opinion is or not. Um, and now, in practice, most lawyers, when they're doing like closing arguments by the time at the end of the trial and they're all riled up, you know, they will, you know, it, it becomes pretty clear. I mean, the jury can kind of tell without you saying it, you know. What, what you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to say, you know, hey, as a lawyer, I've been doing this for 50 years and this guy, you know, is seems, you know, he seems like the most dishonest person I've ever seen. You know, you're not supposed mm -hmm. to give your personal opinion about whether or not somebody's honest or dishonest or whatever. But, you know, but certainly, and I've probably been guilty of this before, I may say, you know, in my opinion, I think this person I represent deserves, you know, X amount of dollars, 100,000, 500,000, whatever it is, you know. Um, so, generally speaking, you're not supposed to, but in practice, most lawyers kind of slip up and will do that. It's just, it's just human nature. So what do, what do you know about the individual jurors before they are selected to sit on the jury? <laughs> Not nearly enough, honestly. So, you, you know, for anybody that's ever gotten one of these cards in the mail, whenever you, you get notified that you have to come to jury duty, you get, there's a little card that you fill out and it's your, it's basic information, your name, your age, if you're married, uh, if you're employed and if you have kids and, and maybe, you know, if you've ever been injured and if you've ever been on a jury before, if you've ever been a plaintiff or not. So not a whole lot, of course. Um, and then during jury selection, you know, you, you get to ask, you try to ask as many questions as you can and find out as much as you can about the jurors. But oftentimes we're very limited in time. You know, the, the, you know, you're limited to sometimes 30 minutes. You know, if you've got 30 potential jurors and you've got 30 minutes to ask them all questions, you've got one minute you can spend with somebody. And it's really hard to find much out about somebody and, you know, within a matter of minutes. So, um, so sometimes it, what's funny is a lot of times they call it jury selection, but really that's a misnomer. We don't, we don't get, the jurors don't select who we want on the jury. What we get to do is we get to identify and select the people that shouldn't be on the jury. Okay. And then the people that end up on the jury are the ones that didn't get cut. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the people that don't get cut are the people that you know nothing about. 
You know, the people, some, if somebody speaks up and says, I was going to a car accident a year ago and I know insurance companies never pay enough. Right. Well, immediately the insurance company knows they're going to be favorable to a plaintiff and the right, insurance so company will plan them. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if somebody says, oh, you know, I was sued three or four times and, you know, and plaintiffs always want too much money and, you know, and, and you know that they're going to be in favor of the defendant, well, then the plaintiff will cut them. So you, both sides will get rid of the people that they know are going to be unfair to them. And, and in the end, what you're nine times out of 10 that you're left with is the people that you know almost nothing about that, right. that haven't said I anything. They didn't say anything. Yeah. They're, they're objective because yeah. they haven't voiced an opinion. Exactly. And so, you know, what's funny is a lot, you know, I, most people hate to be on jury duty. I, I've never been. I've always wanted to. Yeah, as, I've as, never been either. I'm waiting for it. I want those days off. I, I want. I would love to be on jury duty because I'd like to be on the other side of the table and, and, and you know, see it from the other side. But, um, but 90% of the people that come, or most of the people that come, don't want to be there. Some people are interested and they're curious and they, you know, don't mind. But a lot of people don't want to be there. And for the people that don't want to be there, um, you know, I, I would never tell anybody, you know, say anything that's not true. You definitely, you want to be honest and open. But if you want to increase your chances of not getting selected on the jury, raise your hand a lot, answer questions, and give your flat-out honest <laughs> opinion. If you don't like, if you think plaintiffs, you know, shouldn't, you know, if you think cases, lawsuits are bad and people shouldn't be suing, stand up and tell it. You know, if you think um, insurance companies are all horrible and and they all should pay, you know, ten, you know, whatever the plaintiff asked for, then you know, stand up and say it. Those people are are likely going to get, you know, if you give a strong opinion that favors one side or the other you're likely going to get cut. Um, but if you don't say anything and, and, the, and the lawyers don't know anything about you, then you're most likely going to end up on that jury. I got one more question for you, and we got a minute left. So are there any trick questions defendants can use to kick a potential juror, a juror off the case during voir dire? Voir dire, which is another just a fancy term for jury selection or what it really is, is jury deselection. But I don't know if I'd say trick questions, but they certainly can ask a question in a way that um, that is more likely to lead to an answer that um, that will get somebody off the case. Like, for example, um, a lot of times if a defendant knows, let's say if a, a defense attorney knows that somebody is an insurance adjuster mm-hmm. and they know they're going to be favorable for them, well, they, they you know, you're going to know that they're going to be biased in favor of the insurance company because they work for it. But what they'll do is they'll they'll ask a question and they'll say, well... The law requires that you follow the law and you put those biases aside. If the judge tells you to put your bias aside, can you follow the law and do what the judge tells you? Well, who, nobody's going to stand up there and say, no, nah, I'm not going to follow the law. I'm not going to do what the judge tells me. You know, so they ask it in a way that makes you really feel obligated to answer it in the way that they want you to answer it um, so that they can try and keep you on the jury. And, you know, that's, you know, and, and I won't say the defense lawyer is the only one that's do that. I mean, I've seen plaintiff's lawyers do the same thing, you know. Robert Lee is one of the attorneys with the Lee Gober and Reyna Law Firm. To get a hold of Robert and his team, you can give him a call at 512-800-8000. You can visit their website, lgrlawfirm.com, or type that phone number into the web browser, 512-800-8000.com. Robert, thanks for joining us on the program today. Thank you, Matt. That wraps it up for this week's episode of Ask the Experts. I want to thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you'll join us next week.
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 